with me, they're going to do forward rolls and backward rolls and diving rolls and cartwheels and backward rolls to handstands and, and things because I believe in that so much for their health, but also for their performance in sport. But that ability to move is so important. And I think the ones that have taken over and have done some of this have seen tremendous results. That was Ethan Reeve, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for being here. In the process of strength and conditioning, physical preparation, we can never get too far from the principles of physical education and routinely observing the core qualities of what makes great athletes. Strength training and building muscle mass is a really important part of the athletic development equation, but it's also really important to look at all the pieces and the roots and the development of athleticism. And no matter where you are on the training equation, whether you work with older pro college athletes or youth, these principles ring true no matter what the sport or population. Our guest today is strength and performance coach Ethan Reeve. Ethan is the director of strength and performance for Mondo Sport USA. He's the former president of the CSCCA, and he has 44 years of experience coaching in the college as well as the high school ranks. In addition to decades in NCAA athletic performance, Ethan was also an SEC champion wrestler, and he was the head wrestling coach at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, where he achieved five Southern Conference titles in six years. Ethan does an amazing job blending physical education principles as well as his experience in wrestling into building athleticism in a strength and conditioning setting. On the show today, he talked about that blend of wrestling and physical education and and what it looks like in his training program. He talks about the learning environment he looks to set up in his training sessions. We discuss things like belly up or speed training from disadvantageous positions, key ground-based training movements that he looks for athletes to be able to perform, as well as other important principles of building a total athletic development program. It was great chatting with Ethan, and I know you guys will love this show. Before we get started with the show today, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, Lost Empire Herbs. As the CEO of Lost Empire Herbs would say, these aren't your grandpa's herbs. This is not the bottle of Jinko Biloba at the drugstore. And that's kind of what I used to think. And then I used one of their flagship products, the Phoenix Formula, uh, years ago. And in taking it, I noticed an increase in kind of buzzing with energy in my body right away, but I noticed an increase in energy. And then in a few weeks into using it, uh, my strength levels in the gym started going up. And that, that was something that I hadn't actually expected originally. Those I've recommended the product to have had a great experience with their product as well. And I know you will too. If you want to see some of my own favorite herbs that I use from them, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly. And you can also get 15% off your order there. I hope you get a chance to check them out. All right. That being said, let's get to the show. Ethan, it's great to have you for the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've had a, a more than one coach recently talk about having learned from you at some point in their career. I know you've been around for a while, and I know we've <laughs> been able to chat as well just about integrating all the athletic things into training. Mm-hmm. So I know you have yeah. a diverse background, wrestling, strength and conditioning, all these things. Tell me a little bit about your story and how you blended your experience from, from wrestling and, and that end of human movement into the sports performance uh, side of things. Yeah, you know, of course, all this has to do because you get old, and all that's how people know you. You're just old, but uh, now you know. I, I go back to my days when I was uh, in elementary school, and started then, and it really inspired me because our phys ed teacher, it was different. You know, you'd walk into you'd walk into the locker room, even in the first grade, and you're you've got like these cabinets with wire baskets in it, okay, and you got a combination lock. 
and you take it, you open it up and you pull out and here's your white Converse shoes, white socks, your white shorts with the, the name of the school and then also the number on it. And you have a white t-shirt with the name of the school and the number and the numbers better match the shorts, the pants, uh, you know, the shorts and the t-shirt. And then we put that on, put our street clothes back in, lock it up and then we walk out and on the side of the gymnasium floor are numbers. And those numbers will match your shirt. So wherever you're supposed to, if it was number 15, you stand or sit on that number on the side of the, the teacher comes in, takes roll, and someone comes and picks it up from the attendance office. And then they, then we start, then we line up and we're lined up, you know, arms length apart. And somebody's going to leave and we start doing our jumping jacks and we do our windmills and we do our squats and our lunches and our, uh, we call them squat thrusts back in those days because we didn't jump. And then, Back in those days, it was early. We're talking about early 1960, well, 1960, you know, in the 1960s. And uh, we had these old canvas horsehair. They were filled with horsehair. And they had handles on them. You'd tie them up with a rope, and we'd do our tumbling. We'd do forward rolls and backward rolls. We, we were taught all this. We were taught dance and rhythm, and as well as lifetime sports. So it started with that for me. And then I really did well in the physical education. But I took to being to strength training, hand grippers, the old spring chest pulls and things like that. I just love strength. And when I got into wrestling, I could see that uh, in wrestling, you, you need to be strong. In fact, strength, strength is a great technique in wrestling. You know, you, being strong is important. And I started, I was doing like 500 push-ups every day from the eighth grade through my senior year. Never miss a day just adamant about doing uh, that. But, you know, we were, we were big on doing athletic movements, and that was big because we, uh, we didn't do Olympic lifting. We didn't do squatting much with the weights and that sort of thing. That came later when I got to the University of Tennessee and stuff. But that's how it got started for me. Yeah. Do you feel like, and I feel like the, the farther back you get, the strength coaches who have been around for a while, uh, the, yeah. When physical education was, I, I mean, it's funny because I don't know what physical, I mean, physical education obviously is still around. Uh, you watch those old school yeah. physical education videos, though, occasionally it's like yeah. from the 40s or something and people on monkey bars and doing all these very athletic looking things. And I, I can't help but wonder what your take is on how our connection to physical education has changed as the industry has moved forward. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big thing because we had ropes that we climbed, these old one and a quarter inch uh, hemp ropes. We had pegboards, we had chin bars and dip racks, and these were in all the gymnasiums uh, back in those days, and we did them. And we had the tumbling mats and all that stuff, and, and rope skipping was big, and, you know, just a lot of good human movement. I still wish that it, we had that structured movement for the young kids, at least first through sixth grades, and they had to go out and learn to run and jump and do plyometrics and do, do that stuff, but basic things that they could master in that and if they got good at that then we can progress like in about the sixth grade to uh, dumbbells and kettlebells and medicine balls and and throws like that and then after that we can take a bar like in the seventh grade just the bar teach them how to do snatches and cleans and jerks and squats and and all that and and then when they get in about the eighth or ninth grade you start putting some weight on the bar and but that progression would really help us not just in athletics but just in the general health of, of all humans, all Americans, be, we'd be much better off by doing it. I think our, our test scores would go up 
mm-hmm. the classroom as well. Yeah. I think we do better in the class. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. I've heard coaches talk about this where we, we have the different sides of the uh, strength and conditioning or sports performance is multidisciplinary. And I think yeah. we can get to the point where we start splitting hairs on these more quantitative things like what kind of velocity based training should we do or something and it's but at the same time should we really spend all that time digging out that minutiae when there's this huge world of physical education that people don't talk about as often and yes. i just think there's so much there i i agree you know and i've been around i've been to over with mondo i've been to over probably 100 universities and uh and it's it's interesting i i see some people that really do a great job of teaching and coaching and making a connection with their athletes and watching the technique and things like that. And then I see some that have gotten in some of the science or the technology and they kind of backed away from the actual teaching and coaching, putting hands on, correcting and encouraging kids. You know what I mean? Because they let, they let the technology dictate. Mm. And for me, I still think I, I, I'm not against the technology. I think you can blend it, but don't forget that that feedback, giving somebody a compliment for what they're doing or correcting them and helping them get their feet hip width or shoulder width or, you know, whatever you're doing, get your knees out on that squat or what, by teaching and coaching is very important and making that connection. And you're, you know, you're there to help them, those athletes to maximize their potential. And you, I think teaching and coaching is still the eye of the coach is still the best way to do this. Yeah, without question. I think that technology is certainly something that is reflective of being a human being and being able to use technology is awesome. You know, but I think it's like, it, mm-hmm. I think it can be easy to almost get, and I guess you have sports scientists too on that end of things who deal more, more in that. But I feel like, yeah, if you're a coach, <laughs> you can't let that end pull you from your roots, like kind of like Rocky in the eye of the tiger. Like don't, or just like, don't forget who you are or where you came from, right? And it's almost like, in some ways, too, even even in like the college or a level of more developed athletes who have been through this process, I feel like sometimes even doing that stuff with a more developed athlete connects them to their roots. Like they have a smile on their face while they're doing these roles or gymnastic type things because in some ways, not, wow. not only is it good for you, but you also remember what it's like to be a kid and play yeah. and just move your body in a fun way that's not like, you know, very precisely measured or monitored. You know, there's a time for that, too, but just to be able to to move in a way that reflects the roots of who you are. And it's always just so good to come back to that. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I, I people say, well, how, why do you do that? Well, I, you know, you can't, first of all, if you want to be able to move, you got to be able to bend. And if you can't move, then you can't help us. Because, so flexibility is very important. I mean, even the big guys that weigh 350, 370 pounds, they're going to be doing, you know, with me, they're going to do forward rolls and backward rolls and diving rolls and cartwheels and backward rolls to handstands and, and things because I believe in that so much for their health, but also for their uh, performance in sport. But that ability to move is so important. And I think the ones that have taken over and done some of this have seen tremendous results. And, you know, it doesn't take very long. All it is is saying, okay, we're going to devote three minutes a day in our workouts to our tumbling routine. Don't make it difficult. Get in there quick, and the more they do it, the easier it becomes. And what happens is initially, and I'm sure you know this, but when you start doing tumbling, that the fluid inside your ears gets all jumbled up, and you'll get dizzy. I mean, you're grabbing for sky hooks. You're, you're, you know, you feel nauseous at times. But the more you do that, you do that every single day, 
what happens is then you, you become more athletic. In fact, you'll know that they're going to be a better football player or wrestler or volleyball or, or soccer player, whatever. When they can do that without getting dizzy, they reorient themselves quicker. Their, their vision, peripheral, everything becomes better when they do that. So my thing is, why not make that investment of three minutes a day? Very important to do that. Yeah, I feel like in, in listening to you and even you, what you're saying reminds me of if I hadn't done roles in a while and I do, let's say, like five or six in a row and, and like oh, do yeah. a calls in between, I, I get up from that and like, oh, I, I feel a little, you know, everything's moving around a little. But as I go through it more, it does get better. It is trainable just like anything else. Absolutely. Well, you know, just say all the different drills you can do, all the crawling you can do, crab crawls and bear crawls and side crawls and, and all that stuff. You know, anything you can do, I found that our best wrestlers, the one that could be in a wrestling stance, get their chest and belly and thighs around, and then back up to that position, that stance, the quickest, those tended to be our better wrestlers. Mm. And I think around the world, they're finding that as well. Something about that, that getting to the mat or getting to the floor and getting back up. So we did a lot, uh, and throughout my coaching, we did a lot of our drills, a lot of our speed work coming from the belly. I wanted to see how could hmm. they could gather themselves up quick and make a move. And with the tumbling and that and all the hurdle mobility drills, we did everything. We, I just spent, I would spend probably anywhere from nine to 15 minutes. Every 60 minute lift, I would spend on athletic movements. I would do that. I would do that first. We would have routines. So we'd have uh, a rope skipping area and I would mix it up. If we go like five, if we're going five days a week, I do certain drills Monday, Wednesday, Friday, certain drills on Tuesday, Thursday. But I pretty much did tumbling every day because mm. I was I thought it was that important. We did the hurdle mobility, you know, the high knee kicks and all those different things, squatting under and all that. Uh, walkovers very important. The skipping rope was good, but any anything that was athletic, I wanted to put in because I wanted them to know you're an athlete first. So we're going to do athletic things. I want to make sure that you can move. But we did this thing called bad to good position. And I did it with wrestlers just too. And they get in a stance and they put their hands on their opponent. And I say, belly down, boom, they get on their belly. Boom, they got to get up. They, or they down to their belly, wait. And I say, up, oh, who's going to get up the quickest to put hands on that, that partner? And then I put them on one right side, then on their left side and their back. And then I put them on their hands and knees. And I, different positions. So they had to learn to gather themselves from that poor position into what is a good power position for an athlete when they're on their feet. And they had to know how to, how to do that quickly. And I could see that with soccer players. I could see it with volleyball players and wrestlers and football players. That, that quickness of getting from one poor position to a good position is very important to work on. And I, I think that's the kind of thing you could work on every day. It would be very helpful to them. Yeah, I like the, um, in the physical education, even the long-term development, I had Jeremy Frisch on not too long ago talking about just rolling, like stuff where even kids are, they're on their bellies, they're rolling around, they're getting that, or even you could say roughhousing or grappling, all like that sensory information that runs through the trunk. And I think about it too, in the sense of like getting up off your, it's almost like once we get on our feet and we start walking, we, we, we move past that, we don't think about it anymore. But I think about well, if you're on your belly, you have all this sensor information. And we watch athletes, I know in track, like I'll watch athletes who like will do a, a scramble start where you're just lying on your stomach and your hands are off the ground 
in a prone position, like the bottom of a push-up, and then I'll blow the whistle or say go, and they have to get up and sprint as fast as they can. And the athletes who are more athletic, that that getting up process is more connected. It's almost like the whole body springing as one unit from the hands to the feet because there's all that connection, all those, you could call it co-contraction or just you know fascial tension, whatever it is, they're connecting the whole body to get up as one piece versus an athlete who isn't, they will push up with their hands first. They'll kind of do that. Um, I don't know if it's upward dog or that, whatever the yoga pose is where the head comes yeah. up and the hips stay on the ground and then they'll segment yes. upwards. And I remember when I would do, when I was in college, so about 20 years ago, we would do these acceleration complexes as part of our track workout. So, we would get up and sprint yeah. from all these positions and that was, oh. the, I wasn't the fastest, like I was a jumper, I wasn't as good at the 100 meters, but that was the, the place where I could beat the sprinters because only because yeah. I think I had whatever it was that allowed that, which I was like, yes, we're going to yeah. do a push-up start or a roll. We'll roll on your, start on your back and then roll over and start like rolling. And we're, it's so cool. We combine these developmental critical processes of getting on the ground, like what a child needs. And then it's like not forgetting your roots yet again in a yes. specific manner. Yes. Well, whoever your track coach was that did that, that performance was, I mean, right on right on target i i am a, such a big believer i i would we do like our agility drills get on your belly on your back boom who's going to get who's the most efficient from that poor position to gather themselves and to put a hand on get up and make that play like i remember we had it's uh, one uh, kid named alfonso smith at wake forest i watched him in the game he tackles the wrong guy he's a defense you know back he tackles the wrong guy and then finds out he did Boom, gets up quick and then tackles the right guy. He did <laughs> a split second. He just knew where he was. You just know that spatial and kinesthetic awareness is so important. And there's nothing like developing that. The tumbling and the crawling drills are the best for that. But that gathering from poor positions, like your coach said, you do. He was, I mean, that was genius. That's what I do as well. I mean, I, I just such a believer in that. With wrestling, we did it where we go from these different, we call it bad to good position. So I would put them in all those different positions. They had to get up and then fight to the hands inside. So if you, you know anything about wrestling, your best position for offensive defense is when you have your hands on the man with bent arms and you're inside his hands. Now I can hit offensively, but if he goes to shoot, I also have good defense with my hands are on. So we would do that every single day. Our guys got so good. And who's going to get up the quickest and put hands on their opponent in that stance? So very important stuff to do. And I think that those kind of things right there, any athlete should be able to do it. Like that bad to good position is a good drill for every sport. I don't care if you play tennis, golf, whatever. It's just more being more athletic. Yeah, so much of that too I look at. I think coaches spend a lot of time coaching like the end position like like if you're running, oh, what position did you need get into at the end at the end? But I I like looking at it a lot more. And I think and I and I like the idea of the tension, the tensioning being a strong determinant of what position you get into, but I like the setup. You know, like like let, let's look at oh, all yeah. the things that set up what position you ended up in and let's find ways to make the setup more challenging. And mm-hmm. how can you solve that problem? And, you know, it's funny, you mentioned, I was thinking back to my coach I had in college in the physical education piece. And he was, I think, I, this is literally the first time I've made this connection, Ethan, uh, for 20 years. But I, I remember in his bio and stuff, he was had a big physical education background. And now I look yeah. back and I think about a lot of the things that we did. And, and there was a lot of physical education roots in it. And it's just funny, too, because 
I was, when I was in college, I was a sport, like athletic training sports medicine major for two years. And then I realized I didn't want to do yeah. that. And when I was athletic training, I, I wasn't trained with the team nearly as much. And in the time it was just me training, I did a lot of more like the, the high intensity stuff, like the high intensity plyos and all the, the heavy hitters, the yeah. heavy lifting and cleans. And that was nice. Yeah. But the, the funny thing is, is I didn't do nearly as well as when I, I started training with the team again. And it was now I was doing yeah. the plyo stuff. Yes. But I was doing all the PE stuff. And it was like, yeah. and doing it with other people and competing and racing from all these positions. And it was more like when I was playing basketball too. And so, yeah. there was just so much there. It just compounded everything and made it so much better. Well, I'm going to throw something at you just so you understand kind of where I come from and what, uh, first of all, let me say this, uh, my uh, two coaches that wrestled, that uh, in wrestling when I was in high school, neither one of them uh, wrestled. They knew how to organize workouts. They knew how to time things. It's a couple of times they would come in with a book and show us what to do, but they could teach, they could coach, they would encourage. But the two very first coach, uh, wrestling coaches at Oklahoma State University that had all the national championship teams and national champions, neither one of them wrestled. Hmm. Ed Gallagher, the first coach at Oklahoma State, was a track athlete and a phys ed teacher. Hmm. And he became the wrestling coach first wrestling coach at Oklahoma State, and then Art Griffith was a biology teacher, high school biology teacher, and he never wrestled. He did he coached wrestling at the high school, but he did not, and then he was a second uh, wrestling coach at Oklahoma State University. And there was a guy named, uh, gosh, Bill Layton, and he was from New York, had a bunch of state champions, state championship teams. In the 1960s, a lot of the uh, all Americans, national champions, world champions would go and train with him in Ithaca, New York. And Bill Layton trained under a guy named Myron Roderick, Ma Roderick at Oklahoma State. And, and, but he, he never wrestled. He was a music teacher in high school. Huh. He, I he love never that. wrestled. But he knew, how to, he knew how to teach and coach and run practices. And that's something that I, I think that. There's an art to that. Most of the coaches that I knew were very good teachers of, of the sport. You know, uh, my mentor in Olympic lifters, uh, Gail Hatch, and very good at teaching technique, putting you in the right position, coaching you, putting, you, putting a hand on you, teaching you. That, so I don't think we need to lose that art. The art of the eye of the coach is, is very important. And coaches, get involved. Watch these kids, how they perform. Be be ready to correct it. Don't let things go by and not do something back. You need it. And a compliment will go much further than an asteroid. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it just tends to be better with a compliment. But you have to be firm about certain things, techniques, and things like that. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in because teaching and coaching is still still very, very important. Yeah. It. I was actually going to ask you, that was like a question I was kind of going to ask you anyways is, you, yeah. you talk about these wrestling coaches who didn't actually do wrestling. And it made me think about um, there was a swim coach who was really well known named Bill Boomer, who coached in, I think, around year 2000 onwards. He passed away recently. Or, or I think it was a little bit earlier than 2000 that yeah. he was coaching. He's been coached for a while or was coaching for a while. But he, he didn't swim or didn't come from a swimming background. He was a track coach. Yes. And yeah. I maybe did football and I'm sure probably had a PE background of some sort. But it's just, it is so interesting when we think of the educational process for coaches. And this, I mean, this, I don't even think is strength and conditioning. This is literally anything, anything you're teaching. I, I, what I was going to ask you is what, 
what do you feel good practices for coaches are in light of learning to teach people things? I mean, obviously physical education, but but just open-ended your thoughts on how to uh, activities well, to practice and to be a better teacher at what you do. Yeah. The first thing you, first of all, I think you have to have philosophy and you have principles in certain areas. Like if I'm coaching wrestling, I need to know the big picture. What is the big picture that everything's going to come? All your wrestlers may do different moves, but they all look very similar. You have to have a philosophy. You have to have principles. So what are you going to do on bottom? What are you going to do on top? What are you going to do when you stop the guy out front? What are you going to do if he shoots in on your legs? What are you going to do offensively? How do you attack the body? That kind of thing. And the same pretty much in strength and condition. What is your philosophy? What are your principles? What are you trying to develop? Like ours is always to maximize the athletic potential of every athlete we're And also to help them transfer what we're doing into the skill of sport. One thing that in physical education and in wrestling, so I'll, I'll take it wrestling. Let's say that there was a guy named Andy Daniels from Ohio, Ohio University, 1978, 118 pound weight class. He is in the NCAA finals. He hits a high crotch, changes off to a double leg takedown, lifts the guy up, gets his feet up in the air, and goes to a bottom leg cradle. So his left arm goes to the guy's uh, left leg. Azevedo puts his hands on the mat. Andy Daniels comes over the top and locks it up, and he pins Azevedo in 30 seconds of the NCAA. First match in the finals. He wow. pins him in 30 seconds. The announcer comes over, or the media guy comes over and says, holy mackerel, how did, they just pin, how did he just pin the great Azevedo from Cal State Bakersfield? He said 20,000 times in practice. Hmm. And here's how we teach it. So the end of that movement is a cradle, a bottom leg cradle. So what you do is you put your partner on the mat, you get the bottom leg, elbow deep to the elbow, the crotch of the knee, and then you go over the top, you lock it up, you get him in there, and you make the guy fight off a little bit. So now you know where he's supposed to go. Bent leg, straight leg, hips, hips down, belly down. He's got it locked up in there tight. Then you show him how to get in a double leg and bump him across to a bottom leg cradle. Then you show him how to get in that double leg, lift him up, get his leg swinging to the bottom leg cradle. Then you show him how to step in to lift him up. You see what I mean? Or how to high, high cross to a double and lift him up. And then you then you show him the setups, the different setups. So you're working back from the, the, the end of a, just like if I'm teaching a, a power plane or a squat plane. First thing I teach is squatting movements. You know, freestanding squat, Maybe a kettlebell squat, a front squat, a back squat, an overhead squat, because they the end of that lift is going to be either a quarter squat, a power plane or power snatch, or a full depth overhead squat or a front squat. So what you do is you teach the end and you work your way back to the beginning. And that way they're more comfortable. Now they know where they're supposed to be. But then you can start segmenting your way back. And I'm telling you, it works uh, whether it's physical education. In skill or in, in sports skill, work your way back from the end so that kids are comfortable knowing where they're supposed to go and they'll work their way back. And that's what I found to be very helpful in teaching uh, skills. I think one of the most rewarding things in coaching for me is seeing an athlete do a skill and intuitively coming up with a series of movements that'll help teach them that thing. And then when you see it locked, it's like it's, it's so rewarding. I think so often. I think sometimes we take 
I don't know. Like sometimes I don't get the impression that that's we are. I shouldn't say that. I just should say we don't talk about that type of thing as much as we talk about more just protocols. You know, it's like it's and, and maybe that's more easy to talk about versus I think a lot of times teaching is more in, intuitive. It is something that kind of it's definitely more of that art where you, you're like, I feel like this is going to be, of course, you can create the protocol and then lay it out there. And that's a good place for lots of people to start. But it's always been that that thing on the fly too, where you're you're seeing an athlete in a movement. I'm sure, you know, for you and your wrestling experience, this would be maybe maybe the, the sports too, that are a little bit more, a little less rudimentary than some of the lifts and strength and conditioning as well. But yeah, uh, know, get what I did here. was, what I would do, Jules, when I walked into a weight room, I really was thinking of coaching wrestling. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm coaching like I have a coach wrestling. I'm going to teach the skill of whatever we're doing, whether it's a power clean, a snatch, or a squat, or a deadlift, whatever we're teaching, then we're going to work on that. But I'm going to, I'm going to teach it and coach it. But when I coached wrestling, and I, let's say I had 48 guys on the team, I needed, beside myself, I needed 48 coaches. I basically made my wrestlers into coaches. They could teach and coach. Because the term in wrestling is champions come in pairs. So you're not going to win. You're not going to be an All-American or national champion unless you have a partner that also of the same caliber. So you're working together every single day with them. Man, it picks up. You go to the weight room. You go running. You go drilling, wrestling moves, whatever. And it doesn't matter what sport. The more you doing it, teaching kids individually is not the way to go. I don't do circuit type things, especially with my, my big list. If we're doing a power clean, I'm not going to also then put in a side plank and a and a upright row. We're going to do power cleans. One guy's going to be on the platform. The other two guys are coaches. They're teaching. I'll come up and correct. They'll see what I'm doing. They'll emulate what we're doing. I want everybody to coach and teach and be responsible for their teammates to get better. Because if everybody in that room gets better, you're going to get better too. I, you know, so you can't look and say, well, I'm just going to work for my, these 22 football players. These are my stars. I'm just going to work with them. I don't really care about this. Everybody's important. You care. I, I never even worried about who was a scholarship, who was a starter. Didn't matter to me. Didn't matter. I was going to improve everybody that walked in that room. I was there to help them get better because if they got better, that fourth stringer in wrestling, the third stringer had to get better to keep his job second and the first. The whole room is electrified, but you want them to to care about one another, and that's that's big in, in sport. I would recommend that to all sport coaches. They they need to have their athletes care about one another. You can't have one guy who does his power plane, a set of power planes, then instead of going back and helping coach the next guy stepping up, he goes over, and gets a drink of water, he flexes muscles in front of the mirror. That's not going to help the team, and. If you do a, a circuit where you're doing like you got three things working together, then what happens is you just created three individuals. So all they care about is I'm going to do my part. Okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do. They're not really paying attention to the other guy. I want them to always uh, care about their teammates. Yeah, it sounds Does that make like. Sense to you? Yeah, it sounds like uh, I think too sometimes about like like the culture of the like what. Like, what is being rewarded here? Like, what are we really trying to get here? And yes, strength, athleticism, but also it's like a culture of learning. I think that it can be yes. very easy to have a culture of, oh, just repeat what the coach said. Here's your card. And 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 it ends there. And it's like, it can be yeah. so much better even when it's like, well, the culture is how do we learn and how do we help each other learn these things? Because that also, I, 
would carry over to what you're doing outside of the gym, not just the physical capabilities you're getting. Yeah, and you're also you want competition. So our room was always I had down the middle of the room, full length of the room, I had about a four to six foot walkway, and that was called the coach's alley. And so on the right side, I would have maybe 10 or 11 squat stands going all the way down. And right behind it would be 10 or 11 of the, the platforms. Okay. On the left-hand side, it would be squat stands and then platforms. And those, those squat stands, those guys are facing each other. Well, so what I do is I put defensive linemen on this side, <laughs> offensive linemen over here, linebackers over here, tight ends and fullbacks here. <laughs> and you keep going. They're going to, they're like competing. They're calling each other out. That's I awesome. So what you're doing is they're teaching and coaching. They're encouraging. We're keeping them on the clock. We're keeping things moving. But we're also very much into encouraging and helping each other to all get better. When you walk in, whether it's a wrestling room, or volleyball practice, you're in there. The only thing you can expect is for those kids to get better every day. That's a big thing. So by the end of that practice, maybe a quarter percent, half a percent, whatever, they get a little bit better. And it might only be a tumbling. It might be a stretch. It might be a skill or whatever the thing is. They get a little bit better every day. So that when you come in next Wednesday, think how much better they are. Every every time they come, they're going to be better and better and better every day. That's what you do. So as a role model, what you've got to do is sit down and write down, and you have to be objective. The idea is, how can I get better? What can I do? How can I present this better? How can I teach this better? How can I organize this better? How can I be a better coach? And that sort of thing. And that's what I've always held my standard to is to be a, a role model for the kids too. Yeah, I love that. It, that also that competition with the the groups. It makes me think of a. There was a story Sam Portland told of a similar type of competition he had set up. Going yeah. back to the the teaching too, I, it reminded me of and this when you were saying wrestling, how you approach the weight weight room as the lens of a wrestling coach. I I do yeah. from the eyes of a track coach so much. You know, like my roots of learning. You know, pedagogy and track. And well, speaking of track, that just got me thinking about there was a track coach that I worked with, a high school coach who part of his process for helping his athletes learn pole vault. And it was a situation too where he didn't have, I think, a lot of assistant coaches or enough assistant coaches. I feel like this would be against the rules now if a coach wasn't around supervising pole vault for high school. I don't know how that works, but uh, <laughs> um, he he would have like one athlete be like, all right, one athlete's vaulting. All right, the other one, I want you to watch them, watch their steps. The other one, I want you to listen to them. Don't even watch. I want you to listen to the steps. And it's almost like, you're taking turns, really teaching your body all the ways, not just visual, like also auditory, you know, like there's, yeah. there's so much, um, you know, you could get way out there and have some feel the track or no, that'd, be, that'd be a little crazy. But, um, you know, it's, there's so like many that. ways that I think you can help people through that learning process. And I, I wanted to ask you about something else with um, like, I was thinking, okay. you got me on the track thing, actually, this is you had talked about this, but you, you talked a lot about the wrestling elements and the tumbling and the rolling and all and all of those things and the crawling and yeah. i think crawling is pretty universal on on some level but yeah. uh you mentioned hurdles because i feel like that's kind of a track thing or it is a track thing uh, yes, in many ways. but it but is. it is you amazing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah still from track. yeah wrestling combine <laughs> wrestling and track together <laughs> yeah it's look man anything anything is going to make them athletic here's something that and i want to we'll get back to that but i wanted to share this way uh when i coach wrestling here at, at chattanooga First of all, if you want to teach and coach, the first thing you have to have 
is you have to have kids that are coachable and teachable. So when they would walk, we had two double doors in the room. We had two full-size mats. We had, we had like 10 chin bars, 10 dip bars. We had 10 ropes, 20-foot ropes that they would climb, stuff like that. But the first thing, when they opened that door, they walked in, first thing they did, on the wall that they were facing, they walked in, were all the conference champions, national champions, all Americans, anybody that was, they were on that wall. Okay. And when they walked in, First thing they do is they bowed in and uh, and they would look at that wall. When they left the room, they had to bow in toward that wall, and and they could walk out. That was everybody. Everybody had to do. I did it. All my kids. All everybody that came in. That's what you did. There's something about humility and being able to learn. You know what I mean? You you can't come in thinking you know everything. Look, I want kids that are confident. I want them tough. I want fighters. I want people that love to compete and get after it. But you can't get better if you know everything. You have to be able to say, you know, I don't really know. And be, and be honest, you know, just, you know, I say that word, those words a lot. I don't know. And that's something that has to start. And it starts with that humility right there. So I just thought I'd throw that in with that. that that's really a, a big part of the teaching and coaching. Hmm. I like it's that constant reminder that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. I think that's it's so important. Even it's funny, even if I'm just training by myself and I'm doing just whatever like sprint movements or jump movements, just constantly thinking about to me, I I view it as like what a miracle my body is. Like the move, what my body is doing and how it's producing movement is something that I'm still and will for the rest of my life trying to be figure figuring out. This is something bigger than myself. So even then, I approach it that way. Yeah, you know, and here's some too, Joel. Look, we, we had what we call champions workouts. So we would encourage them to come in. They'd do whatever they wanted to in the weight room. We just needed to know because we didn't want them overtraining. And if they were overtraining, we could see some of that of what they were doing in the room or running. Or so we just needed to be aware of it. And then we I meet with the athletic trainers and we talk about, I think he's you know a little overtrained. She's a little overtrained. So let's cut back on those champion workouts because we want them to know that the team workouts are very important. What happens though sometimes, you know how this goes, you get some athletes that think they now know everything and they're taking the champion workouts and then they think they know more than the coach. And that's where the humility comes in. They have to understand that what's best is to let the, the coach coach in, in skill practice, in sport practice, and in the strength. Group. And, you know, the coach they're there to back that coach up. It's kind of like I, I told you, I wrestle, but my wrestling coach has never wrestled. How is that going to work if I gather guys around and say, look, those coaches don't know anything. Let me tell you what I do know. That ruins the whole effect of that room and how it's going to work together as a team. You, you see what I mean? Yeah. They, you have to have some humility and say, you're the coach. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to do it exactly what you do. I'm going to do it with uh, with that vigor that you need me to do. I'll be a good role model for you. Whatever you tell me to do, Coach, I'm going to do it. And hopefully, I'll be a good role model for these other guys. Do the same. And that's what you have to have. You need those kind of athletes. And that goes into sport practice, and it goes into the uh, either speed practices or look. That coach is, is the one you listen to and abide by that. If you, if you have a question, hey, can we talk as a side coach? 
can I come see you? And maybe that athlete has a suggestion that you want to listen to, you know, because I'm very open to listen to it. But in that sport practice or still practice, you can't do that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it highlights something, too, that I, I mean, part of the reason I love doing this show is all the things that you call, I wouldn't even say between the cracks or between, maybe it's between the lines, but it's the things that people aren't outright looking for. If we talk about motor learning and learning, you know, a lot of times the first thing will be, all right, you know, motor learning principles, which is awesome. I've had some of my favorite shows have been on that. But also yeah. it's like, well, all right, well, what's all the environmental pieces that go with that as well? I think, and that's something that so often you don't really feel the true effect of that until you're there. Like I'm there in this environment. I, okay, I get this. I feel this. And in my, um, in my coaching lifetime, one of the really cool things about being a strength coach is you can be around a lot of really good sport coaches and you see their teaching process and that they put such a great emphasis on the environment like that is repeated the environment is so so key there and that's a huge thing that i've picked up in from that uh, the basically the time that i was able to to do all that and and in being a strength coach and learning from all those team sport coaches so i, I think it's really important well you know i the other thing that i would say that that you have to you know you only have so much time you might have 45 to 60 minutes with these athletes and, and train I'm, I'm talking about the weight you have to find the things that are the most important. So the, the thing called the 80-20 principle, which I'm sure you've heard of, is basically what is the top 20% most important things that give you the most bang for the buck that will transfer to competition, to skill of sport? What is it? I'm probably more of a 90-10 guy. <laughs> I take the top 10% and I would say, these things are the most important things. And the term we use is master the basics. So you have to repeat these over and over again. So that that ninety that ten percent of what we do when I go to write up the workout is going to take up ninety percent of the practice. You have to leave ten percent open to evolve, to change, mm-hmm. to listen, to learn. But if you want to win, those fundamentals, those basics, those they've got to get good at something. Like I, rec- I recommend kids learn how to read and how to create images in their mind and read all the time. Also, learn how to do mathematics times tables, you know, master the times tables and things like when you're young. Take those things when you're young, master it. Just like we're talking about physical. When they get good at cartwheels and diving rolls and backward rolls and handstand, walking, you've given them something for the rest of their life. Learn how to ride a bike or whatever. In the weight room, the same thing. So I asked several strength coaches, give me the three most important or four most important lifts you would recommend. And of course, I've heard power clean, power snatch, clean, you know, whatever. It's some Olympic lift, some form of squatting movement, front squat, back squat, one-legged squat, step up, square. But it was some kind of squatting movement. And then some kind of hip hinge, you know, like a swing or like a, a back raise, a simple back raise. Aaron Osmo said, back raise. Weighted back raise. And that was his three most important, a power clean, a squat, and a back raise. I go, what would be your fourth? He goes, a standing press. I go, how basic can you get? I mean, they're very basic. But I asked Boyd Epley, you know, Boyd Epley from uh, University mm-hmm. of Nebraska, probably the grandfather of strength and conditioning for uh, collegiate athletics. I said, give me your four basic lifts. He said, I would say a hang power plane and a back squat. And I said, okay, well, what's the third one? 
on the fourth one. He goes, it doesn't matter after that. <laughs> you, see, you see what I mean? He's, he's cut it down. He's got those basic, because if those kids get really good at certain things, it transfers all the other things. You see what I mean? So I say they've got to learn how to do basic things, basic plyometrics, jumping with two legs, jumping with one leg, hopping, you know, all the what are those basic things that they can master and get good at it? And it will transfer. So when you progress to other things, it becomes easier for them. They've mastered those basics. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I like that process too. I think that's just such a helpful, it's just along the teaching lines too, a thought exercises. All right, if you have to boil your program down to two movements, what's it going to be? And I think yeah. we regularly should be doing that. And it yes. makes me even think too, like the, the Power of the People book by Pavel Satsling is so well known where he just had his big oh, two were the deadlift and the, the bent press with the bar, which is funny because yeah. part of me wonders if he just did that for the book more. It's like, all right, well, I got deadlift. That's my one. What's the one thing that is all opposite a <laughs> deadlift? And it's actually, it is funny because they are pretty much polar opposites in terms of the torque, you know, torque chains and all the muscles and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I just think that yeah, his programs are so defined by being minimalist. And I think unless you go to that point at some point, and Dan John talks about this too with the minimalism and keeping things simple, but at some point you need to go and be like, all right, these are the two. Hey, here we go. And then you can. Yes. In so many ways and, too. And the, Sorry, go ahead. No, no I, I was saying I, I got this one young strength coach I'm kind of mentoring and helping out. And I, I tell him, say, look, you can show me all this other stuff. I don't care. What are they good at? What are they? What can they do? Like I watched some wrestling since I've gotten back into watching wrestling a lot more. I wonder, what are you good at? Well, you can't get good at something unless you've done it ten thousand times, twenty thousand times. You have to repeat these efforts over and over again, and you have to repeat them in different situations. You can you cannot be good at a fireman's carry or a double leg, whatever it is, or a stand up, unless you've done it. And you have to do it. And you have to do it. And you have to do it. And I would say. Running is the same way. Uh, I think I always loved was I love running uh, stairs. I think stairs are still one of the best things. You can't run them, walk them. It's one of the best things you can do that will transfer to athleticism. You know, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say moving. Um, I wanted to move on the back end of this show a little bit more to the nuts yeah. and bolts of some okay. of the movements you mentioned. The roll, uh, rolls and crawls. And you know, I was just thinking yeah. in between wrestling and then track there's a, a, war, a warm-up that i've used i use it funny enough a lot with tennis because we would go outside in the track and train for in the off season and it was yeah. uh originally taught to me uh called the safari warm-up by a track coach at the time his name was matt chisholm and he had learned it from some strength coach in mississippi i don't remember what the i don't know who he got it from but it was basically you do a series of hurdle walkovers like four to six hurdles and then you mark out 10 yards at the end of those hurdles and do a crawl. And then you skip back and then you do a different type of walkover and then you do a different crawl or lunge and skip Great back. Stuff. And oh, it was, it was the best. Like I've, I've, I love it. it it's uh, yeah. Like it's like where worlds start to collide into the most efficient <laughs> way you can do these, these things. Yes. And if they look, if they master those things, it will transfer. You've got to get good at something. So if you can get good at those big ticket items, those big items that give you the most bang for the, they incorporate the most muscles, joints, whatever, it, those movements and stuff, then it's going to be easy to do other things from there. So get good at that stuff. Like if you're, I mean, teach a kid how to get good at a power clean or a clean jerk or deep squat. I, I love deep squatting, that sort of thing. But anyway, 
no, I think we're on the same wavelength there. And, and I love that. That's great doing the hurdles and then go right to the calling drills. That's good stuff. Good stuff. You were talking about um, the physical education and the dance and the rhythm part of that. And I think that's something yeah. that's so lost. And I was just thinking about this as we were talking is it's almost like there's two components with that physical education port into strength is one is just getting on the ground and doing these things, these roles and things that challenge your equilibrium and movement. But then when you do stand up, like, is there a rhythmic aspect? And if you're doing hurdle stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially in track, there's always rhythm in those hurdle drills or even, you know, even the speed ladder, people hate on the little speed ladder. But if you do it from a rhythmic perspective, that, you know, I feel like that's one of the main things you get is, hey, here's a ladder. Absolutely. Does it represent mm -hmm. all the steps in sport? No, but you can do it for rhythm and, and it's that, that element can be helpful. Yeah. You know, and people, they've come up with these different assessments to see how the kids are and how they, you know, where they are strength wise or balance and things like that. I always did mine through actual movements. I did the hurdles and the tumbling, and then I would correct through that. But we had a professor here at the university of Tennessee at Chattanooga. He came in and he put the uh, TV screen and had these, eye hand coordination and you touch the screen with this and we then we looked at the results throughout the year on injuries hmm. and we found that the kids that did the chorus with that eye hand coordination were the ones that always got injured hmm. and i asked him a simple question i said well then how do we remedy that he says you get good at the eye hand coordination <laughs> and i go that's it and that's kind of, it kind of verifies what we're saying. You know, if they can't tumble, get them better at tumbling. And then they're going to get better and it's going to transfer. But there's something to that eye-hand coordination and what, you, what we were talking about getting from poor position to good position or getting from good position to poor position back up to good position, even better. If you do those kind of things and really get good and master that, wow, you are really, you're really going to help athletes. I don't care. I mean, look, first of all, let me tell you, I've done it with uh, soccer. I've done it with uh, tennis. I've done it with wrestlers. In fact, we had, you know, after working with our tennis team at Wake Forest for a couple of years, we finally won the ACC, never won, not won it before. My wife and I were watching, and we beat Virginia going for their 10th at the University of Virginia. And we go, to the, we go to the Nationals. We have one kid in the finals. We get second, and we place eighth. The next year, we had two kids in the finals, and of course, the one that won it was a black belt in jujitsu. Hmm. But you can see that all those things will help them become better. That that training in jujitsu will actually help transfer to sport to other other skill sports. You see, so don't I don't I think these people. Are, that's why I like multi sport athletes. I like yeah. kids, especially when they're young, to do at least a sport every season. If they can do like uh, if you're running track or, or let's say you're playing soccer in the fall, wrestling in the spring, I mean in the winter, and then track in the in the uh, spring, man, it's going to be so good for these kids to do these different sports, do athletic things. Yeah, I just think that's just another reason, full circle, why I go to physical education, go to basic human movement. So often, just on the back end, maybe just yeah. like the back end of teaching a position, but without everything that led up to that position. It's like, I think we're so just, all right, let's go to the assessments and the biomechanical, which is good. I mean, those things are great. And I've learned a lot of biomechanical assessment type elements. But even what yeah. you were saying with the, 
The vision. That's so cool. Uh, Jeff Moyer, when he was on the podcast not too long ago, had talked about how many like uh, injuries in women's soccer or something. I don't know if there's a study or where I, I forget where the pool of information was, but a lot of it was that this isn't just biomechanics. This is because they are not reacting to the situation quickly enough. Their body gets in a bad position, a disadvantageous position, and something goes. It's not just, oh, well, their alignment with this was off or that was off. And so it's just so cool to see that data that came out of uh, the Chattanooga where it's it's even, I guess, what you could take that one to, well, decision-making. I think that's an important part of it, that recognition. But it's almost even more, there's a part of it that's even more fundamental and that I'm sure comes out of the, the youth and the developmental and to you know make sure we're addressing that. Right. So let's, let's come up with something that will help them with that eye-hand coordination. And we can cut down some of these injuries. That's going to help some. Let's, let's do it. So. I'm with you. And that human movement is so important. I still remember doing, you know, in, in uh, phys ed, we'd have uh, two people in a rope, one in the rope, and you have to, one person, then you got to jump over. And then pretty soon they do two ropes. You got to do two ropes. But we do these sticks, you know, that we use, and you have to jump in and out of the sticks and hopping and stuff. And man, so much coordination. That is so good for these kids to be able to do. You know, if, if you ever get the ch- chance to go to, watch like the baboons and chimpanzees if they you can sit there for hours and i yeah. did i sat there for hours just watching the movements and the jumping the rustling around of these baboons and chimpanzees and it's beautiful to watch i'm thinking wow i i need a drill to add that in because look how athletic these these animals are unbelievable so yeah, look i'll steal from anybody I- anything I love that. I, you know, that's so cool. You mentioned the zoo. I remember I was at the zoo a year or two ago and I'm just watching like the cheetah walk around, not even run, but just walk. Oh and I'm God. watching its shoulder blades move on its rib cage, like with a lot oh. of glide. I'm like, this is so cool to watch this just machine. And it changed and it gives you, it really changes the way you even view stability. Cause I'm like, well, this guy's, his shoulder blades are, or her shoulder blades are gliding all over the place, but with control. <laughs> Same thing with the gorilla walking yeah. around. It's just, oh, that's, that gorilla is, that's, that's my favorite, silverback gorilla. You look at that silver, and no one messes with the silverback <laughs> gorilla. But then he also has that gentleness mm. to pick up that baby gorilla and hold it. And so, you, you know, there's, there's something about that kind of strength and power of, of that animal that also has that softness to it as well. That's the difference that, you know, that zin, yin and yang yeah. type stuff. There's something to it. Beautiful. 100%. Yeah, I feel like so. It's like, you know, for a strength coach curriculum, there should be a, an audit down to two exercises and then go to the zoo and take notes. Like that that would be That's a right. great educational system, you know, module. <laughs> I would love it. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, so I, I got a little bit off track. But yeah, so just back to some of the movements. So let's just say, and I'd love just to get into maybe high school versus college or even middle school, high school yeah. versus a college mm-hmm. setting with some of these things. Because as athletes, I, like, just how do you view this in light of an athlete's development? Obviously, when athletes are younger, they need that multidisciplinary background. But so what's your view on the, the weight room, uh, what you would present there for younger athletes? And then as they get older, so college up to potentially pro athletes and things like that. Yeah. You know, so we already discussed what's going to happen up through about the eighth grade. And the technique's very important. And I wouldn't worry that so much about their strength. The strength is going to come from climbing ropes you're doing push-ups or body weight squats but when you start now you're in the ninth grade and you're you've got to start putting a little bit of weight on the bar i i will tell you i am not a big i do one rep maxes i want to find out their strength but 
I have standards. So I would have standards at high school for football players, wrestlers, tennis players, whatever. They can all do about the same type of lifts, but the standards are maybe different. Okay. And so let's, let's get, for instance, at the college level, a power clean that I would recommend for 65% of the players is about 140 kilos, which is uh, uh, 308 pounds. But in high school, my standard for high school would be about 220, 100 kilos, because they're at a different level. Okay. But uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of kids that will do more than those numbers at that level. That's fine. They want to continue to, I don't really, that, that's not important to me. My thing is to get everybody up as much as I can to those standards. So I'd have a standard for front squats, back squats, bench press, standing press, all those kinds of that. vertical jumps, standing long jumps, have standards that I want them to try to accomplish. You, you see what I'm saying? And so it would gradate because these are kids between 15 and 17, 18. Now, these guys are 18 to 22, 23 years of age. They're different. They become men. Look, I don't care. When you turn 18, you start becoming a man. Whether you lift weights or not, you become a man. And it, you're changing. After that period, then what happens is longevity becomes more important. It's like extending the finish line. So if you're in the pros, you can do all these lifts, all these movements. But now what happens is I'm not worried about standards anymore. I'm, they've already made it. What's going to make you successful? Doing athletic things in elementary school through, gosh, probably the ninth or 10th grade is doing more athletic things. But when you, you, and you want to continue that throughout, even in through the pros and international competition. But what's going to make you successful is mastering the skill of sport. They've got to master the skill of sport in a, in a certain way. And, and you, you've got to get it as close to competition as possible without being competitive, if you know what I mean. I mean, the drilling of techniques is so important, but they need to do that at a high intensity of doing it. You see, but short periods of time. You can't overdo it. When, it, when they're through, boom, time to go recover, come back the next day. Uh, as, uh, a uh, soccer coach we had at Wake Forest, uh, Bobby Muse. He, in the three years that I worked with him, we went to the Final Fours all three years. We lost to Stanford one year in the finals in penalty kicks. But in those three years, they never had a practice over 70 minutes. Hmm. Now think about that. Never, even during training and teaching and all, 70 minutes was it. Very few injuries. When they got through, kids hit the cold tub or they uh, went, got some meat. And recovered. Everything was about recovery after that. But now, when they were in that practice, they might as well put the headgear on, the boxing gloves. I mean, it was a fight every day. He would, he was tough, and it was high pace. They got after, him. but they also knew, he also knew they've got to recover. He's, he's got to get those kids to recover. Yeah. Uh, hey, so last, uh, maybe I'll, I actually I have a good way of framing the last question in terms of you know you mentioned the cartwheels and rolls and crawls and. Uh, and the dive rolls. And so maybe we can close yeah. this out in sen- the sense of, all right, what are things that really good athletes can do from the perspective of all those gymnastic calisthenics? Like in, in terms of like, okay, this is like, these are some real high level versions of what we do. 
like a dive roll or something like that. Is there something that you feel like some of the the better athletes can really do well? If I'm laying out all this physical education type movements in my warm up and those that part of the process, and I like, hey, if you could do this, that would be really cool. Like you know that kind of thing. What yeah. what are some yeah, correlations so you see? It, basically, what we did, we had a it was a simple thing. Now some. With some of them, I didn't do a lot of the backwards. Some of the athletes do a lot of backwards stuff. But let's say I was going to have a, a wrestler. And, and with the wrestling, he would do like three forward rolls. And he's in the other end of the mat. And then we're going to do like three backward rolls. And then we're going to do three diving rolls. So they've got they have their feet together and dive up and out. Some of those guys really dove up. And then have a land and tuck roll. And then, so they would do three of that. Then they would do three backward rolls coming back into a handstand. So they had to kick all the way up into a handstand. And then we do three forward rolls. So you would start in a split position and you would put your hands down and you tuck your chin. You would do a roll. And while your feet are in there, they would come and ankles would touch together. Just before the feet hit, they would split out. Hmm. So it was called forward split rolls. Okay, do three of those. And they would do three backward split rolls. So when you're you're in a split, you sit on your tuckus, and your hands are down between your legs, and then you kick your legs back over the top, just like a regular roll, but where their feet are in there, the feet come together, and then they'll split out right before you land. So three backward rolls. And then we would do things like uh, then we do like a cartwheel to a forward roll to a cartwheel. And then we would do things like walking on the hands where we start and try to walk uh, 40 feet across the, the mat. The most I ever got was I could walk full length of a basketball court, turn and come back to the free throw line of that first basket there. But when I got through, man, I'm telling you, your <laughs> head is ready to explode, but you're walking in hands. Well, that is it's such good stuff doing that kind of stuff. But I didn't get into a lot of the flips and things like that. I think you can get into that stuff. Uh, but I would prefer a gymnast coming to teach the guys, you know, backflips and, and that kind of stuff. But we did a lot of knee stepping where you'd step and you'd touch your knee to the mat and you'd step out. Mm. You'd go heel toe and then knee down, stretching the, the hip flexors, hamstrings and that kind of stuff. We did a lot of that kind of stuff. I didn't do as much of that with a lot of the other athletes. They could do four rolls, diving rolls. You know, rolls to crab crawls, roll, and that's it. And we did rolls, roll to a crab crawl, roll to a bear crawl. And we put that kind of stuff in. So we incorporated it. Very simple, three minutes, and you're out of it. You're finished. Do the next thing. Just do it every day. I'll have to the 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 series where you had like the split rolls in there. I, I'd love to say like the Ethan Reeve challenge. Like, can you can you do these movements all in all sequentially? Yeah. I I will, if you want, I can send you. I have some wrestlers that I film uh, doing it's not great film but you'll see some of the guys trying to do forward rolls forward split rolls backward split rolls it's actually easier to do a backward split the forward split roll split roll is a little more difficult doing it you yeah. should be able to do it like it's nothing but i'm a little bit older now but whatever. <laughs> yeah still yeah i'd love to see that send it to me and i'll throw it in the show notes that'd be amazing okay, okay yeah, uh, i'll so- see if i can put that together that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. The one last thing I was just going to say is I, like in the links to athleticism. Well, one, you talked about mobility. So just quickly touch on this. As you mentioned, I believe like a lot of these stuff are also linked to mobility. Like I think so in some ways we think of mobility oh. as, oh, just go and stretch and, you know, versus, but I 
this type of thing, tell me about the links between doing this type of work and building mobility or dynamic mobility. Uh, just a, a lot of people say don't stretch a cold muscle, and I, I will agree. But I don't think it's bad to do some static stretching after you've warmed up. So we would run around the room, ins and outs, uh, you know, karaoke's, high knees, that kind of stuff. And then we go right into our tumbling routine. And after the tumbling, I would do a little bit of stretching. And then after the stretching, we went right into climbing ropes and that stuff before we went at drills. But when I coached at Chattanooga, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, we had three surgeries in six total years. Hmm. One kid tore a meniscus and got a surgery and was back on the map within a week. Another kid broke a metacarpal, set wrong, so they had to go back in and, and put a, a plate in there. And then another kid, we thought he had turf toe. He just had MRSA. Hmm. Okay. And, and uh, so they operated on him, and they found they couldn't find it. There's nothing wrong. He didn't have turf toe. He didn't have any problem. Those were the three surgeries that we had because you take care of your kids. You do these things. You, make the, you help them to get stronger, get more confident, and you make them do these. The, but these movements, when you do a four roll, just imagine the Achilles uh, flexibility you must have in your ankles, your calves, your knees, your quadriceps, your hips, your back, all the way through your spine, just to do a forward roll and be able to do that without using your hands to come out of the roll. We have to tuck and roll. Very important. Doing that with a backward roll. All the, all the things are being stretched by doing that. Not just the kinesthetic and spatial awareness, but the flexibility is, is very, very important. So doing the tumbling and you're you're gonna you're gonna have some flexible athlete look we had a kid that went with the uh, new england patriots first round as a lineman weighed 307 pounds and uh he could do four rolls backward rolls cartwheels awesome and made him do it made him do the hurdle drills squatting under stepping over and he was an athlete he could move i were and i've had kids 350 pounds plus doing that kind of stuff I'll tell you another thing I think is important, and that's a connection. Uh, you know, I love the stairs, but I think skipping rope still yeah. is one of the best things, especially offensive linemen, defensive linemen, because a lot of the plyometrics, you got to be careful of their weight. You start doing like a lot of the box plyometrics. That's a lot of weight to come down, especially on the one foot. But skipping rope and doing ladder drills, like you mentioned ladder drills, wow. That's I think that's really really good because that connection with that ball of the foot yeah. and that Achilles tendon is so important. That ta, 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 is so important. They need that when they're out there on that football field or playing volleyball or whatever. It's just so good for all the athletes to do that. Yeah, I love that you mentioned ball of the foot too with the ladder drill because I get I think that the ladder gets looked at from a movement specificity standpoint, and then we just get rid of it, but. I was like the ball, the foot stuff and the rhythm. It's like an advanced version of jump roping. And would you get rid of a jump rope? You know, like, I, I mean, it's, it's just such a good training tool for that perspective of things, the rhythm and the ball, of the foot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, what you're and, and what we talked about, Joel, the big thing is we, this is something you can do in your warm up. You could do these. It doesn't take much. What's going to help with that, doing those hurdles, the skipping rope and doing the tongue is if you do it every day. Mm -hmm. Every time they come in, they do it. Here's a routine. They master it. They get, the kids get so good at it, it's like nothing to them. You see what I mean? And boy, does that transfer. It really, I see it transfer to every, every athlete, every sport. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, Ethan. Well, hey, uh, it was so good having you on. And it's like, you know, I, I would love to keep talking. I feel like just seeing the videos will be so cool, too. So I can't wait to get the videos from you for this stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'll make sure I tr- uh, throw them up on the show notes. But thank you again. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoy it very much. Thank you. That finishes another episode and thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to the show on, and I'll see you next week.